Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. All right, everybody, we're back with another episode, and today I'm joined by a friend and musher, Carissa Daniels, and we are going to be talking all about sleds. There isn't a lot of information out there, uh, so we're hopefully going to fill in some of those gaps today and help you guys figure out what equipment you might need to start engaging more in these winter sports. Before we dive in, Carissa, do you mind giving everybody a little introduction uh, to who you are and how you got involved in dogs? Yeah, so... Um, my name is Carissa and I live now in Norway, Maine. Um, I was say four or five, Tim, how long have I had you? No, she doesn't know. Um, so I got my first dog tank or first dog as an adult, maybe four or five years ago. Um, and I was like coming out of like a lot of people, a bad mental state and whatever. And I thought, you know what, maybe a dog will help me kind of get out there um and meet people or like have to go to a dog park or whatever oh also no dog parks anymore but back then I was a dog park woman so you know I got Tink and she's a little maybe 45 pound on a good day <laughs> she should maybe be 40 pounds but um maybe she's 47 pounds today but I got Tink and uh we kind of just started doing stuff so we went for walks and then you know I was like well there's this class we'll try a tricks class and then there was a whatever other thing like frisbee and we she did not like that one and happy ratters and we tried that and she really did like that and then you know so i made this dog group in boston i tried to like get people doing stuff with their dogs um and someone posted i think somewhere on facebook like this woman is doing canacross lessons and i was like well what is canacross so i had to i watched her little video and um and i said you know what this would be good because then we can work out kind of together and, you know, I can get some exercise and not just like her at a dog park running around. It's like me doing something too. So I signed up for a lesson and it must've been early March or something. Cause it snowed that day and I was late and it was so hectic. And I almost was like, I can't drive there texting the woman. She's like, well, whatever you decide. She was so nice. Thank you, Megan. Um, and she just kind of was so chill. And she's like, whatever, if you can come, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. And I, I like actually had to go buy a sports bra because I was in the process of moving and all my stuff was everywhere. And I was like in such a state of a tizzy. But anyways, we went to this lesson and Tink had no idea what was going on. She was didn't get it. And I was like, this is cool. And the woman, Megan, had, you know, like a proper mushing dog. He was a stibe. Um, and you know, watching her run with him, it was like, well, that looks awesome. And so I have been, I was like a fat kid when I was young and running the mile in, in school made me want to call out sick, you know? Um, but I thought, you know, maybe this is the day that I start exercising or something. So, you know, me and Tank, we got some gear and we ran, I think like 15 or 18 5Ks that summer, like insane, right? Not necessarily Canacross specifically, but um like dog friendly 5k's and by the end i thought so my goal was to be able to like maybe run that side like i would mm -hmm. get that i could run that side so we scheduled another lesson in the fall and i got to run the side and i almost died um because he was really pulley and tank was barely pulley um but she also let me ride a bike 
and then the scooter. And then I was like, well, this is awesome. So I, then I needed another dog and then I needed another dog. And then, so, you know, and then someone down the way, it's like, I got another sled dog and, or a proper sled dog. And someone was like, oh, you know, do you want to run my dog with your dog? And we'll go. And, and then I'm like, oh, now I need another sled dog. And then I was like, well, if we're going to do this, we may as well move to Maine instead of Boston. And then we'll get another couple dogs. And so here we are now. We call ourselves Team Frex because my dogs have spots. They're black and white with spots. Uh, I've got Tink, the OG, we call her. She's the little one. Um, and then Bolt was my next one. He is perfect. He hated mushing when I got him, even though he's a sled dog. Um, but he loves it now. He's great. Uh, and then I've got Hannah who is like our uh, steady, always on, never a problem child. Just, you know, if you hook her, if you run with her, if you put her on a bike, if you put her on a sled, if you put her in lead, if you put her in wheel on the left or the right or with another team or your team or whatever, she's just so reliable and steady and predictable. And I've got two puppies now. Um, Igloo, who's my little peanut. She just broke 42 pounds, so she's a little one. Um, and Eclair is my monster child who is going to be an incredible sled dog, but right now she's a bit of a terror some days. So that is, uh, that is how we landed here over the past, like, I think four years or three, something like that. <laughs> We've come up pretty quickly. You have come up quickly and you and your dogs do a little bit of everything. You do can across, bike joring, you have a rig, you do sledding. So out of all of your sprinting sports, do you have a favorite? What's your preference? A rigger sled, right? So, I mean, the rig is like so fun, right? Because you get to lean and it's speedy and stuff um, if you have a full team of dogs for it. Um, and sled is so fun. Four dog sled. I mean, other people will say like, oh, wait till you hit six or whatever. But I think I'm pretty good at four. Like, that's a good number for me. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh yeah, there's something about um, the winter time and and like snow and it's so bright on sunny days and just it's quiet and it just like it just makes this noise that's very pleasing. Um, and there's, you know, sometimes it's like an easy straight trail and it's kind of like, you know, you could just take your hands off the slope almost and just kind of be like, whatever, don't do that. But really, you know, and it's like low key and it's chill. And then sometimes you're like in a race and you're uh, leaning and you feel way cooler than you really are. So it's pretty good. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. So today that that's what we're going to be talking about is these winter sports, specifically sleds, because like I mentioned, there's not a lot of information out there and it can be hard for someone who's just coming into this world to figure out what might be best suited for them and their single dog versus a small team. Um, before we dive into that, do you want to talk a little bit about other winter options for sports? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I have a good perspective a little because I've got like Tink who is super, super rec level. And then my other dogs are sort of mid-level racy, but like low mid cause we're new and I've sort of cobbled this team together. So I've tried out uh, a lot of, I mean, I even tried ski joring, which uh, is one option. So you can get some skis, hook your dog up like with a can across belt and have them pull you around on skis. I think that probably works a lot better if you already know how to ski, which I don't. Um, so that didn't really go that well for us, honestly. And uh, at the time when I tried it, I had Tink and I had Bolt, who is my, uh, one of my proper sled dogs. And I was like, there's no way I'm hooking Bolt up to myself on these 
things. So no thanks. Uh, so I hooked up Tink and she tried, but she was so gentle with me and she knew I was terrified. And then my leg muscles were just not uh, in the right spot to support that activity. So we gave that a whirl. It didn't go well for us, but if you know how to ski and you have one or two dogs, that's a really great, or if you are really driven to learn how to ski. Um, so with ski joring, you got to be careful what kind of skis you have that they don't have metal t edges or whatever. Um, and then what kind of trails are near you and like how appropriate are they for skiing? So for us, it was like a little tricky and for me to learn it by myself. And then also with the dog, it just didn't work out. But, um, I think that's a really great, like small team, one, two dog sport. If, yeah. if uh, you know, if it, if it fits your life, um, then the other option is fat biking, which we do that also. And actually, Oh, I don't know right now. You might know, but uh, I'm not sure exactly where Isra stands on that, but I think they might be either testing out a sanctioned class or it's already become one or something, but um, it's becoming like more popular. It'll, it'll show up in races. Uh, Tug Hill had it two years ago. Um, and so fat bike in the snow is just like, you know, you normally like you would ride your fat bike on dry land, you ride it on the snow and hopefully the trail's packed enough that, you can pedal and it go and you kind of goes smoothly. Um, if it's a punchy trail, that's also a tough one. Um, so even in the winter, I kind of go between. So if I sled my big dogs, I might take tank on the fat bike afterwards. Um, if the trails packed enough, because like I said, if it's punchy, it's kind of not that fun. One time I tried to, uh, <laughs> I like showed up at this race, uh, in Maine called Farmington and I was like, hey, do you mind in the rec class if I fat bike? Because I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a sled and I only had Tink and Bolt at the time and I didn't know what else to do, but I like wanted to go and be a part of it. And oof, that was, <laughs> that was rough. It was, I mean, like six inches, you were stepping in every time, every um, step those dogs made, they were like falling in. And then the bike was just, it would not go. The wheels were not turning. It took us quite a while. Yeah. Um, but there was one really good photo of it and we looked cool in the photo. So I think sometimes it's like, if you get one good picture, it was like worth all the, the effort, right? Yeah. As long as you survived it. I guess. Right. So, uh, that showed up also at Tug Hill, Winter Canacross, which I mean, good for those folks too, because it can be just as punchy, you know? So it doesn't, you don't like without that surface area, you don't glide. You just kind of can sink but if it's a packed trail i'm sure that's fun too you know for someone who's not me <laughs> for someone who enjoys running a lot <laughs> right um and actually i think so i i've heard different um ideas about snowshoeing with your dog i think that maybe if you have a dog who pulls too much it can throw you off balance um but if you have like a low level puller or somebody who can adjust down a notch for you um, then that could probably be fun too. So maybe like Tink or Bolt, I would take, but Hannah, maybe not so much snowshoeing. Um, so that's another option for kind of getting out there in the snow. I love that. Yeah. I think it's important too, to kind of know your dog and know, uh, how intense they are in their pulling drive and how trained they are to be able to take it down a notch easily. Cause that's obviously going to dictate how you enjoy these winter sports as well. Right. And especially when you're getting started, like getting started in, if I had tried ski drawing with Hannah, for example, I would have been like, I would have been on my face and crying probably in the first 35 seconds and it wouldn't have gone well, but it's nice to have a variety of dogs and just, you can pick the one that makes the most sense for whatever activity or 
uh, what your experience level is that for that particular activity. So yep, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. about kick sleds, even better. <laughs> yeah. So, and I have seen, you know, some pictures, I think it's important to know too, that sleds are not just for big teams. You don't have to have a big team to be able to enjoy this, but there are some considerations we want to make. So as we're starting to look at different sled types, talk to us about the different styles of sleds that you might see and what size or strength of teams those would be suited for. Yeah, so I will say that I uh, my dogs do sprint and shorter distances. I mean, even like I wouldn't call tink sprinting, but like lower mileage, and we don't. Um, so that's kind of, it's kind of more my realm that I know about. Um, so we've got kick sleds that are good for one or two. Maybe if you've got not really strong pullers and they're not very big, you could maybe put more on there, depending on the kick sled and how sort of hefty it is. Um, I bought one locally that those, the folks that sold it to me that made it said they run four on it. So great. Maybe, maybe kick sleds are one to four, um, depending on pulling ability. And then personally, I have a wooden sled, which, uh, mine does have a basket and you can put a dog in it, or you could carry like your extra snacks or whatever you want to put in there. Um, and then there's sleds that are, I guess there's kind of like two categories, right? So there's like what the distance are they for and then what are they made out of, right? So we've got the sprint sleds tend to not have, they're not as uh, long in the basket. Um, you can't, like in mine, you can't put a person in the basket. It's not rated for that weight. There's other sleds like toboggan sleds that maybe um, you can put a person in. So maybe when you're training a team, you might want to carry two people with you or if you're running tours or whatever. Um, and then obviously like people who run the Iditarod, they need really big sleds to fit a bunch of dog food and a bunch of gear and like camping stove or, um, food for them and the dogs and, and, uh, extra layers and, uh, emergency gear and all kinds of stuff. So I think we're probably not talking distance sleds with what I assume to be your audience. Correct. Yeah. Mostly, um, you know, and even mid-distance folks, mid-distance folks might run similar to sprint sleds, or they might, maybe they run one that's a little bit touch bigger. Um, maybe their courses, uh, you know, they're not maybe hitting the, quite the speeds uh, that sprint folks are. So maybe they don't need all of that maneuverability maybe, or maybe they do. I think it depends on, uh, so like in New England, we called mid distance if you're doing like 20 or 30 miles, but in Alaska, that's still called sprint. So th those words also kind of, uh, I think, are relative to where you are. Right. And most people, I think, who's listening, they're talking about like a one or two dog team, and they're probably not going 30 miles. That would probably be overkill. Like Tink can go about on a kick sled. To, you know, if you only have Tink for on a kick sled, you probably want to go about two miles before you're like, this is a lot of kicking. <laughs> So much. <laughs> so generally when we're looking at our sleds, you know, we have the different materials that they're made out of, and then we have length. Generally speaking, longer sleds mean more weight and more distance that and less maneuverability. And less maneuverability. Talk to us a little bit about the difference in material that they're made out of and why someone might go, for example, for you know a wooden sled. So yeah, so you can have wooden sleds and they come in all those options, and then metal sleds. You know, and honestly, I don't know if I, what I if I did a rod sleds come metal. You might know that answer. I'm not sure, but um, so like I have a Dandler, right? And that's a pretty common sprint or mid distance or um, 
I don't think really. I mean, maybe distance, bigger team, like you could run 18 dogs on a bigger Dandler, or maybe I run four on my uh, Hornet. So um, that one is more, it's metal. There's no wood on it. Um, it's really leany, if that's a word. Um, you can really maneuver that. You can press really hard into a corner and kind of get yourself around it without having to break too much. Um, a wooden sled, they've got a little flex in them because of the way they're tied together usually, but uh, not nearly as much. So if you're like hitting high speeds and, and tight turns, uh, maybe a wooden sled is not going to look as slick as, as a metal uh, metal sled. Um, and then the, the foldability, right? So wooden sleds are just large and they don't fold and they look beautiful. And really, they're really like a, a craftsman, like an art object, um, but they do not fold, you know, for the most part. Kick sleds, a wooden kick sled can fold. Um, a wooden normal sled is not going to fold. It's just going to be very large. You're going to have to strap it to the roof of your Prius and drive down the highway uh, and people are going to look at you funny. Um, and Chris, Carissa, you say this almost as if you have experience with this. <laughs> and then someone's going to reach out in a one of the Facebook mushing groups and say, hey, who is this woman in a Prius with a sled on her roof driving down 90 or whatever? And it's going to be you and your friends are all going to know it. Um, but yeah, so, you know, like the, the I think for small team folks um, or even like for yourself, you know, coming from Georgia when when you don't maybe have all the space in the world to store a big, you know, eight foot runner sled that's three feet tall and doesn't fold at all. And it just takes up space. That's why people I think go with um, the metal ones that, that fold down, you know, and, and there's uh, a couple different versions and between the kick sled up to the, um, you know, up to even open team sleds that, that fold. And, and I think that's a, a maybe price point maybe is a big one. And also like, where am I going to store this thing and how am I going to transport it are like two of the bigger things when you've got smaller teams and you're just getting into it. Yeah, absolutely. For me with my decision, that was absolutely one thing that, that it came down to was ability to fold. Um, you know, when we are, I've got an SUV, but I have Malamutes and they're big and their crates are big. And so when we get everybody in the car, we have limited space. So that ability to fold it and transport it easily and then store it easily because it's not like I am using it every weekend, right? We're taking it on vacations with us or taking it up for a race or something. Um, so that ability to kind of have it not be a a big storage issue was important for us. And then price point is going to be that other consideration that people will need to look at their own budgets and decide what works for them. But some of these options do come sort of secondhand. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the differences that people might see in something they can get secondhand versus something they would need to buy new. Yeah. So I can talk specifically about like my first go around with a kick sled. I had, like I said, the tank, she was 45 pounds or whatever. Um, did I, I think I might've gotten the kick sled before I got bolts. I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, mostly I had Tink and she was little. And then I had some friends who uh, would let me borrow their dogs who were also little and you know, we had trained, but they were small and they didn't have a lot of pull power. So it was kind of like, I was looking around, what could I get? And I happened to put up a post on some um, like mushers of the Northeast Facebook group or whatnot. And a woman that I had met before, um, was so kind. And she said, you know what, I've got this K2 
kick sled that I'm not using this season. And um, I would actually love to have it not where it is right now because we're like doing a garage repair or whatever. So you can borrow it for the season and, um, and then just give it back, you know, when I, when I'm hopefully I'll have this garage thing fixed or whatever it was, the shed. Um, so I ended up with what is, I think a very traditional kick sled, like though it's wooden, um, the runners are pretty narrow. It doesn't fold by design, but if you just replace some of the bolts with wing nut, uh, wing nuts instead of uh, normal nuts on the on one side, then it kind of does fold. You can just like pull it apart and it just folds down. Um, and it looks like a traditional, like kind of like a basket weave on the back. It looks like what you would think in your mind is like, a sled for a kid almost like it kind of looks like it's for a child, but it's, it's not, it's for just having when you don't have a ton of power up, up in front of you. And so that's what Tink and I started with one of those. Um, and those do come around new. I mean, sorry, used, I think occasionally and often people will have one in their garage or, or whatever. And if you put a post up and say like, Hey, I'm looking for a kick sled or a one or two dog sled, a lot of times people will like, oh yeah, you know what? I actually don't need this thing, but they didn't post. They weren't going to post it if you hadn't asked. Right. So there's a lot of how getting used stuff and mushing works. You'll be like, oh, is, does anyone around, I'm willing to drive this far. Does anybody have a used da, 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 da. You're probably not going to find a used Dandler very often. They are pretty rare. And I think they tend to get sold to like somebody that person already knows. So if you think you're waiting on a used Dandler, um, unless you have some connections already, probably don't hold your breath on that one. Um, so then I had that kick sled and then, you know, after I uh, had to give it back to its owner, um, then I was looking for a nut, like a small team sled, you know, one to four dog kind of thing. And I put up a post and somebody said like, oh, I've got this one. And so I ended up with a sled dog system sled which may or may not have been a child sled. I actually don't know. It was low. The handlebar was pretty low. And um, my mushing mentors definitely made fun of me because they said I looked like it, they said, I think that's a child sled. Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. It worked for me. And uh, that one, I don't think folded, but I did get that one used. So it was just like, in other words, a random sled that had, it was metal. It wasn't wood. And it, it had some like play, maybe too much play and how, um, how much lean you could get out of it. So, and then wooden sleds are always used wooden sleds, always. So if you would be happy with a wooden sled and you've got a place to store it and you're looking for a lower price point, um, but something that's like super sturdy and definitely drivable and you could definitely put like solid pile of dogs on it or two, um, I think a wooden sled, you know, definitely, definitely available um, frequently, I think. So something else that we need to consider as we're, you know, a newcomer into the sport, looking at getting sleds is kind of the purpose. Um, obviously, we talked about price, we talked about size, uh, dog power, but we also need to look at what we're looking to do with it, whether or not we're just looking to go out recreationally, or if somebody wants to eventually enter a race, because there are some uh, specific things that people need to have on a race sled that they might not necessarily need if they're just enjoying the sport recreationally. Let's talk, right. That's true. But let's talk about things that you do need, even if you think you didn't, whatever, like yeah. so kick sleds don't come with full braking systems. So that's maybe one thing you want to consider is if you're looking at a kick sled, how does it break? I rode somebody's and I, 
can't remember if it was an Elsa or what, but it actually just had no braking system at all. Maybe it wasn't actually like meant for dogs. Maybe it was meant for like, because kick slides are really for a person to stand on a thing and kick it. They're not always to attach a dog to their person. Right. Sometimes just for a human to not want to be on skis and just kick around in the snow. So they don't have these sophisticated braking systems. Like skis don't have brakes either, right? You just kind of like drag your foot sideways and that's how they break. Well, that's great until you put, you know, a bigger dog or a dog with more power, like Tink, that's fine. Right. Hannah like that, it's not really that comfortable. You know, you feel out of control a little bit. So braking systems are something to look at, right? So you can have a drag mat. You can install a drag mat on something that doesn't exist if you want to deal with it. Probably that'll cost you like a hundred bucks. And, and they have claw brakes. So this would be the same for, uh, kick sled, you might say, well, I only need a drag mat. I don't need a claw brake or one or the other. Um, and then like a Dandler or wooden sleds are going to have both and they're, they should come with both, but just check if you're buying something, like just make sure you know what braking system comes with it versus if you need to add on, um, as an additional purchase, like one of the other things. And a lot of the kick sleds will come maybe bare with nothing. And you've got to ask the manufacturer to like put on that drag mat or add that claw brake or whatever. Um, so regardless of, well, races require like a pro- like a braking system, but regardless of what you're doing, make sure you've got some kind of brake or a dog who really doesn't pull that much and you feel super comfortable, like sideways dragging your foot through the snow to stop them. That's fine too, but just kind of think about it and then make your decision about brakes. Um, and then another thing would be like a snow hook, right? So if you're running tank again, or like a 45 pound or maybe even a 50 pound dog, maybe you don't really need a snow hook. Maybe it's overkill. Um, and on your kick sled, putting a snow hook maybe feels ridiculous and you don't think you need one and that's fine. You've got a really well-trained dog who stands there and waits for you to like get totally ready. Great. Um, and I think I, if I was running Tink and Bolt together, I wouldn't really throw my snow hook for that. Like they're just going to stand there and wait for me. So that's fine. Um, but a snow hook is something that a race is probably going to require if it's running under like uh, any uh, regulations that are uh, national or, or international. There's probably going to be a snow hook requirement. Um, so and and on kick sleds, you, they don't come with holders, so you'd have to look into that also. And then different, uh, like a Dandler comes with. Did yours come with two holders? Yep. yep. Yeah. So Dandlers just come with the the snow hook holders and wooden sleds. Like if you're getting it used, the person might sell it to you with the the snow hook holder if you ask, and they might not. Um, so you got to just kind of, again, be clear on like what you're buying. Um, and then uh, uh, the your bag, right? So even races, like there's a race around here that for the kick sled class, which they now are starting to have kick sled classes. Like I think, I don't, it's ISDRA, but I don't know if IFSS sanctioned to dog kick sled yet, but, but um, ISDRA has. And so like Tug Hill this year will have a sanctioned, I think they're going to have a sanctioned two dog class, but you need to have a ventilated bag which on a kick sled, like it feels a little nutty because probably your one dog isn't going to be able to kick you and your injured dog who you've bagged right around the course. But um, I have seen that as a requirement. Kick sleds typically don't come with bags. So now you've got to like figure out how to put a basket in a bag together. Um, the funny thing about that is, so like the basket part is, it's rated, it's weight rated. 
right? So like some of the kick sled, it's like 15 pounds, but then the race requires the bag, but you couldn't put the dog in it really by the weight rating, but I don't know. So I think they're trying to like the, the organizations are like trying to adapt, but they haven't maybe really thought all the way around it. But a lot of races, you do need a ventilated bag for your kick sled. <laughs> but, and, but and of course, like bigger team stuff, four dog or, or beyond that, definitely you need a ventilated bag. Um, and most sleds will come with one. Uh, or if it didn't, getting a used sled bag is pretty easy, actually. And if you needed to get one custom made, probably don't ask somebody to custom make you one right now in the middle of the season because they're probably pretty busy. Uh, but in the summertime, it's a great time if you want a different color or whatever. Um, somebody, most likely a harness maker, nooksack around here, whoever, uh, can make you a, a lovely sled bag in whatever color you want. Um, so those are a couple of things that I guess if you're racing, you need the sled bag. If you're not racing, maybe you're like, you know what? I don't care, need carry stuff. I got a fanny pack. I'm good. Um, snow hook, probably you want either way in a braking system. You at least want to think about it. And if you're running two or more, I'd say you probably want a braking system regardless of whether you're racing or not. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> in addition to those items, we need to look at connecting the dogs. Some people have snub lines. Some people have safety lines. Talk to us a little bit about connecting your team to your kick sled or your sled. Yeah. So Again, if I'm running one or two, I'm, um, so two different things, right? So when you start, the snow hook or the snub line serves similar purpose. So when I run four, I snub and hook down. Um, and people, for our people who might not know what that means, do you mind kind of describing what that might yeah, look like? Yeah, so if I run four dogs, um, because it, you know, you've got to hook them up while they're getting jazzed up, but you don't want the sled to move without you, you... Uh, take your snow hook and you set it into the snow and step on it until it's, and then you tug on it, make sure it's like dug in there. And then you think to yourself, I still don't trust this thing, even though I just tested and kicked it um, and tugged the line to make sure that it's good. So this, that snow hooks um, is going to kind of, you're going to set it just to the left or right of you so that when you re when you're standing on the runners and you reach down, you can access it easily and pull it up. Um, in addition, before you put the dogs on, so you set your snow hook. If I'm running four, I also take a snub line, which is just like another rope that I would tie around like either my hitch or a tree or a pole or whatever. A lot of times um, at trailheads, there's gates. So there's like a big metal pole that's set in the ground. So I'll tie my snub line around that and then loop it through. Some people do through the back. I think that your Dandler has like a, a white loop on mm -hmm. the back. Um, near where you stand on the runners so that you can put the snub through. Personally, I put mine through the front carabiner where my uh, my actual gang line is attached to. My snow hook line is also attached there. And now I run my snub line through that. And then um, you can either do a knot or some people have like a, uh, like the equivalent of like a, a, a stick in a loop. You kind of put the stick, jam the stick in. And then when you're ready to go, you rip the stick out of the way um, and, and then uh, and pull your hook out. So and again, depending on like how you feel comfortable with what or whatever, you're going to step on all your brakes when you go to, to pull your lines. And then, um, you know, maybe you pull your, your snow hook and set that because you've got to click it in the little holder thingy. And uh, maybe that's a little finicky for you. So you do that first and then you pull your snub line or maybe you do it the other way around. Or one time I, <laughs> I 
pulled my hook, forgot to pull my snow blind. I'm like, why am I not going anywhere? And my friend's mom, like my friend's mom is like, oh my God, <laughs> fired. get out of here. She's like, you might want to pull your snub line. I'm like, oh yeah, good point. <laughs> Off we go. Um, so yeah, so those are those are some of the lines. And then, well, those are the the safety before. And also if you were like out on the trail, you, you could throw your hook and be like, whoa, dog, stop. Like I need to undo this tangle or in the middle of a race or whatever. Or you just want to take a break for a second. Um, so you throw your snow hook and, and you step on it. Kind of like, step on all your brakes, try test it out, maybe like let one foot off the drag, see how that feels. And then maybe get off the sled if you really have to, and then walk your way up the line. So you're not really like letting fully go. Um, if you needed to like un untangle somebody or something, uh, some people have two snow hooks. So they'll put, two, you know, maybe if you're running really powerful four dogs, or if you're running six dogs or more, you might put both down and, and still that's not gonna, there's no guarantee. Like they can still, right. and you might also, you know, end up sort of dragging uh, behind your sled for a minute there before you get up. Um, and then, then the other thing is, is like attaching your gang lines, right? So I like to look at the, for length of gang lines, like people have lots of, oh, this and that I want it to be, but like, look at what, at least what IFSS or what ISDRA suggest. Um, like if you're running a kick sled and you've got a 10 foot line, that's probably overkill, you know, like your dogs are just going to be way out in front of you. If you're going around corners, you're going to have no real control. Um, and if there's people on the trail or like some thing, animal or whatever, they're going to have so much swing to take you completely the wrong way. Uh, you know, probably that's not what you need. You probably don't need a 10 foot line. You could probably put like a little spacer and then maybe, you know, your lead tugs or your leader tugs or whatever. That'll probably do you good on a kick sled. Um, and then, you know, anybody that you buy a normal four dog line from is it's going to be measured the right way. So you could just get, you know, whatever. And then for me personally, my, my leader tugs, I like them a little bit shorter. So I usually specially request that they're not five feet long or four feet. I kind of like mine three. Um, and that's kind of, those are kind of like the line setups. And then if you're running two, you need a neckline, uh, regardless if you're on a kick sled or if you're on a four dog team or whatever for the, for the leaders up there. Um, so something that you and I were talking about not too long ago uh, is a shock line in association with running our sled teams. We often see them when we're running can across, when we are doing bike joring, we need some sort of shock absorption there integrated within the line. Talk to us about, you know, sleds and kick sleds. With yeah, okay. So that's a really good point. So, uh, and particularly with kick sleds, because um, there's a thing called a bridle. And that's like the lines under the sled that help pull the sled, like help the force get distributed. And so your pull is coming from like a reasonable spot on the sled. Um, so usually if you like go the on the underside of a sled, you'll see like um, a rope system or a bungee system. And it'll be connected to like, let's just say the sled parts, okay? Like the stanchions or whatever. And it's gonna be connected down there and it's gonna, then it'll come together to be, it's gonna go along both sides and it's gonna come together through this like middle, probably like eye hook or whatever. Um, or on the Danlers, it's like that. Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm not sure where it comes to on the Danler, but um, so you've got your bridle. Kick sleds often don't come with that, especially if they're not made for dogs and they're just made for people kicking around. Like they don't need that thing. Um, and that thing is where you eventually attach your lines to. So the, on the Dandler, it comes through that white 
loopy thing that's on the front there. Um, but so kick sleds sometimes don't have them. So that's another thing you'd want to look at when you're buying a kick sled. Like, does this thing have a bridle? Is there some kind of rope system underneath it that like enables you to attach your lines to it and also helps the pull make sense? Like where the pull is coming from, like physics, you know, or whatever, is this going to make any sense? <clears throat> so you don't want to just attach like an eye hook to the front of your kick sled and be like, oh, we'll put the lines here. Like, it's just going to get ripped out. That's not going to work. Um, similar to like how on a bike you run with an antenna, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. Um, so some of those bridles are, are rope and, or whatever they're made out of rope or cable, I guess. Um, and some of them are bungeed. So if they're bungeed, that's where your bungee is. So you don't need additional bungee. Uh, typically if you're running one or two, really you don't. Um, and if you're running even up to four, if your sled bridle system is bungeed already, that is the bungee. So it's already taken care of. You don't necessarily need to put more bungee on your bungee. Um, you're just going to cut your own power. Um, and, and, you know, that like, I didn't know when I first got a sled or I guess when I first got my wooden sled, I, uh, I rented a place in New Hampshire and I had never been on a real sled before I had just been on the kick sled. So I was just like trying to figure it out myself and Alpine outfitters or whatever online, mushing source uh, for gear, like had this shock line thing that said it was for a sled. So I bought it and I got it. And it was like, you could use it as a weapon. It is heavy. It's got these two giant carabiners. It weighs like, I mean, it honestly could weigh five pounds. I don't, but in it's, if you tried to, there's like the bungee is so uh, sturdy or whatever, you can't really even pull it apart yourself. So I was like, oh boy, this is quite a to-do. So I like hooked it up and put it on there and put my lines and whatever. And, uh, you know, realized later when someone was like, you do not need that. <laughs> that is with tank and bowl and you don't need that thing. So, um, and even I had Hannah at that point too, but you know, it is definitely something that's sold and they don't tell you that it's like really for if you're running 18 dogs or if you're running like, um, maybe distance or something, some other situation. It was not needed for my situation. And now even when I hook up four pretty solid sprint dogs on a Dandler, I don't use a bungee. I'll just hook them up to the sled um, and with a carabiner and, and then put my line and the bungee in, in the bridle system of the Dandler serves enough of a purpose and I don't need any more bungee than that. Um, but everybody, you know, everybody do what you want. I, like on a rig, I don't run a bungee sometimes either and there's no bungee on the rig so it, it, a little bit it's kind of like how do you feel about it you know yeah yeah and everyone's going to have their you own know, opinions like when the dogs start or whatever do you how much what do you want what do you like how much absorption do you want like do you think it's get affecting them it's probably not affecting them it's probably affecting you so it's like a little bit what do you feel like doing do you want to buy all the gear because it's for sale and you saw it on a website then great go for it you know which is what I did. <laughs> well, we got to learn. We got to learn some way, right? <laughs> like, oh, here we go. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's that. You can, I mean, definitely the kick sleds, you got to look at them because a lot of them don't come with a system and you got to create it, um, especially the ones that are made for humans kicking, not specifically made for dogs. Um, and if you are looking at kick sleds, uh, there's the the Elsa kick sled. There's the, that the wooden one, that basket style that I think you could just get one off of Amazon. And that might be one of the ones that does not have a bridle system. Um, 
I honestly don't know how to pronounce it, but I think it's Nahak because I always want to say Nahak and that's the wrong way. So uh, they have a really nice kick sled and also a really nice folding, probably up to four dog sled, I would say. So like small team sled. Um, I think they're a Canadian company, so their shipping sometimes can get you. Um, Togo Traction or Togo has also a kick sled um, that folds. So these are ones are that fold up really nice. Um, that one I believe should come with a, a bridle system. I think that, you know, he's like on purpose making them so that they're dog ready and stuff like that. Um, I don't, do you know the other kick sled, uh, no. manufacturers? Those are the ones that I was going to mention. Yeah. yeah. yeah those are. But unfortunately, like right now in the middle of a season, a lot of, like, if you tried to buy a Dandler right now from any Dandler, uh, person who sells Dandler's like they don't have them you yeah. have to I had to buy my Dandler in June to get it in time for the season and it came in December I mean I think also COVID had a little bit messed that up but did I just buy that last year wow I feel like we've been together forever so I love that sled it's a very nice sled um but yeah like so if you're thinking about winter stuff unless you can happen to get one local and used uh you gotta you might want to think about it more in the summertime because yep. Like I think Nahak right now is sold out completely of anything sled like. Yeah, I think they're only shipping to Canada right now too. Anyway, yeah, right, and that's the other thing. There's not a ton of U.S. makers for kick sleds, um, so the used market is is kind of hopefully you, you, something pops up for you if you're looking for something, um, or you might end up with just like that Amazon basket one for your first go around if you've got one or two not super pulley dogs and you have to kind of just figure out the bridle and, and make sure, and there's YouTube videos and you can don't totally do it. Like, don't be afraid of it. Um, but that might be like the easiest way in quickly before right the end of the season. Now, yep. You got to learn how to ski. Unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Better get real good at cross country skiing. <laughs> so those are your choices. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the middle of the, the winter, or the early side of the winter coming into the winter, everyone's got the same idea. Like, Oh, I want something. So it's a little bit tougher to come by. Maybe yeah. you've got a friend who bought too many sleds. Uh, might be me uh, who can loan one out also. For yeah. the Borrow year. one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. in addition to the sled and all the stuff we'll need for the dogs, there's some additional things we might want that maybe we wouldn't necessarily need for our dry land mushing sports equipment for us, equipment for the dogs. Talk to us about some of the additional things that are needed for safety and comfort in the wintertime. Yeah. So first of all, I'm going to say a thing that is not optional, even though you think that snow is so I, like my first time out, I'm like, oh, this so snow looks so soft, looks lovely. Like, do not skip your helmet, put your helmet on and put your eye gear on because either the sun is going to blind you right in the eyeballs or the dogs are going to be moving quickly and they're going to kick stuff in your eyeballs. Yeah. Um, neither of which is a good option. So you definitely want some eye protection, just like with dry land. You want your head protected, just like in dry land. Um, when I ride a sled, I wear like a normal snowboard helmet um, versus like when I'm on the rig, I wear like the kind of helmet, like a motocross or whatever mountain bike helmet with like a chin thing. I don't wear that one on the sled, but I do wear um, a snowboard helmet and, and you actually, you'll want it anyways, because it keeps your ears warm. So it's, it's like double useful. Um, and then I wear goggles. I have goggles with different lenses. They just kind of magnet right off. They think they're like 25 bucks on Amazon. Um, so if it's sunny, maybe you wear like the sunglass kind. And if it's 
nighttime or, um, or if it's like a gray day, you just wear the clear ones. Um, so don't skip those things, even though the snow looks like it's squishy for you. Uh, and then you, we've talked about the snow hook, um, the gang line and the bungee and stuff. But uh, one thing you might not be super accustomed with, uh, depending on where you run your dryland, is booties. So in the winter, depending on the snow, the dogs might need booties um, to prevent injury, not just if they have an injury. So if, and you know, I myself am not always great at this. So if I don't know, like if I look at the snow and it's not a meat really obvious to me, uh, you might just booty them just to, to do it, um, to be safe. But like, if it's really granular, you can kind of see, like, if you, you can be like, oh, this, this feels like it could be like sharp almost sometimes when it gets like icy. Um, so then you might booty them, uh, so that they don't get like these little like cuts and, and tear up their feet. Uh, and then, so like desitin is another thing. So if, a uh, dog is prone to getting cracks in their webbing, which is a thing I didn't. And with Northern breeds, I think you guys don't really booty. No, not, not too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I have friends with size and they're like, what are you guys even talking about? Yeah. Like, hound people were over here like, oh, like every foot and pulling in between and looking. And, you know, you gotta, um, if you do have a dog who has like funny feet, like funny, not funny, they're sensitive, sensitive. or, or just not like so much fur to like prevent, um, damage. Uh, if you're out with other people and somebody has a dog that's got a split, it's, you should just go see what they're looking at. Cause I really had no clue what I was checking for. Cause I'd be like, okay, looking in dog's toes being like, Meh. like I thought I was checking the paw pad, which is one thing you're checking, but you're really checking also the webbing in between for splits. Um, and on, on Northern breed dogs, like people, you know, guys don't even, couldn't even see them if you tried. They're so furry, you know? Yeah. I will say I do make an effort before and after every single run. I check all the feet, knock on wood. I've never had an issue with feet ever, but well, it's still a good habit to get into. The other thing too is like, so, um, so if I have a friend who's running maybe six dogs and they're going six or seven miles at. 20 like their average might be 18 or 20 or something and my team like if i have tinkle and uh and hannah we're not going that fast and we might be going three and a half miles so if i ask oh like should i booty them my dogs they'll be like well i'm gonna booty mine but you don't need to booty yours because you're going shorter and slower so it's a little bit also dependent on you know obviously you can think about it like if you're walking down the pavement that's one thing and if you're running at a marathon on pavement that's like a whole nother thing so it's right. similar um and and sometimes people say well i'm, I'm going to booty their back feet and not the front feet because that's where a lot of the maybe the power comes from or whatever uh, or like the digging mm -hmm. so just it's kind of like something to be aware of and also when the iditarod comes around the booty manufacturers like won't sell to normal people they only sell to the iditarod so you have to prepare so if you're thinking of snow sports it might be a good time to just like get some booties now or soon uh before you realize you don't have enough and now nobody will sell you any <laughs> um which happens like around late maybe february or whatever uh and and then the the like you're gonna the, you're gonna try and buy booties and they're gonna be the measurement and you're gonna have no idea i recommend just like buying four of each size that seems reasonable and uh like my 60 pound dogs wear a medium so that's kind of a um like what so booties are a thing where like actually large is large, not like when you get clothes from Petco, 
and a large is for a 40 pound dog. And then there's nothing that's ever going to fit your 75 pound dog in booties. It's like actually more reasonable. And you might just have a hard time getting small enough if you're running some kind of little dog, but like Tinkler is a small, um, and then Bolt and Hannah, I think are mediums, or maybe I could shove Hannah's front feet into a small, sometimes dogs front versus back feet are different. Um, so booties, booties, a thing that maybe not everybody with their dry land even has come across, but it's a thing you want to have on you. If somebody does get like a bleedy injury or whatever, you might still be able to run them the next day. Maybe if you booty them uh, or the next week, if you give them a week off, you might say, well, to prevent that from happening again, I'm just going to booty this dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another thing is musher secret or desitin. So depending on which way your dog's feet are going, um, I think maybe wreck people that's like not so much, but um, the bigger dogs, those, those splits happen. Uh, and I, and that's when you would start shoving desitin up in there and still, I'm not hundred percent sure on what conditions are causing which issues. So I usually just like, if I'm at a race or if I'm with other people, I like look around to see what other people are doing. And if they are all covered in diaper cream goo, then I'll be like, all right, guess this is what we're doing today. Just kind of, you know, take your cues from other people. Yeah. Um, we also, sometimes might be training in the dark. So talk to us about safety for yourself and your team for nighttime training. Yeah. Right. So there's two things about snow that also we should mention, right? Snowmobiles. Mm, Yes. And then snowmobiles at night or nighttime training. So, um, personally, I don't bike chore in the night ever because I'm a, I think like the speed I'm going and I can't see far enough. And if there's a rock, I just, I'm very afraid of like taking a really bad tumble. So I never, I don't dry land in the night unless I'm on an ATV with somebody else. Um, but in the snow I, I do, if I know the trail and I, and I feel like I know where the turns are and I'm not going to miss something and be lost. Um, I will definitely. And in fact, you should sled at night. It's awesome. It's totally awesome. Like full moon sled rides or whatever. Um, please do it. But we're a really bright headlamp. Um, some people put lights, um, like bike lights or whatever on their sleds, just got to make sure that in the cold, it's going to work. Um, and then you can either get those, like I have these rechargeable from REI, um, collars for the dogs and you know, they'll wear those. Or if you have like, I think Roughwear has like a blinky light that you can attach to the back of them or just like whatever lights you can put on, but for you and maybe you and the sled, like a really, really bright, like look at the lumens bright, not just like you bought yourself a headlamp, like look at the lumens and make sure you've got whatever is the highest thing you can find and afford. Um, Because snowmobilers can come fast. And so you got to be visible from like really far away, you know? Um, And I think some people wear like, do like Knox gear or something Mm -hmm. like that. Those harness things for me, like when they're already wearing harnesses and maybe they've got a a rub shirt on it. It was just like too much. I just do the collars or like some clippy light that can just blink in and they're there. And and mostly it's like my white uh, headlamp. So talk to us about snowmobiles, because that's something that obviously, as you mentioned, can come up quickly on the trail. Um, There are certain trail systems that certainly were allowed to have snowmobiles. Some were not. So it's always good to be aware of your trail system and if you will see them out there. What is your general, you know, guideline when you're running your dogs and you come upon a snowmobile? Yeah. So one thing is don't assume that just because your dog is like really well versed and like coming up on strange things that they're going to cleanly pass a snowmobile. They're going to probably the first couple times or maybe forever, they're going to be scared because it makes a lot of noise. 
Um, and they they don't, you know, dogs tend not to like machine noise very much, you know, like a train or the snowmobile. So if you're lucky, or if, if you're on a trail that, um, the snowmobilers are accustomed to mushers, they're going to know that they're supposed to slow down, stop, or kind of wait for your indicator of like what you want them to do. Um, so for me, ideally they like really slow down and maybe they're still moving forward. Um, if we're coming on and with a head on pass, let's say, um, but they're really, really slowed down. So they don't frighten the dogs and it gives the dogs a little bit of confidence to be like, okay, this thing is coming at me and it makes a weird noise. Um, but they can, the dogs can kind of proceed through it and the snowmobiles kind of go by as well. Um, if a snowmobile is passing you, it's the same thing. Like, hopefully just like if you were passing a dog team, you kind of tell them like, what do you want them to do? So if I hear a snowmobile coming from behind me, I might like turn around and then I'll decide like, okay, maybe I want to slow my team and pull them over. Uh, maybe I've got my, my, uh, let's say the snowmobile usually will pass you on the left. So maybe my left side dogs, I know they're pretty sturdy. So I'm going to just kind of wave the snowmobile or by, uh, but it's definitely a thing that you want to think about. And if you're only running two or you're running a team that is really, really well trained and they'll, they'll stop and hang out for a second, you might want to hook down and, and just pull them off a little and be the body, like body block the snowmobile a little from them. Because again, definitely the first couple of times, like that's not, the dogs just aren't really comfortable. And generally they don't, it takes them a little while to be like, okay, all right, whatever. I'm just going to keep going. Or maybe you've got a rock star dog who's so driven that they don't care that there's this like movable train thing next to them making a ton of noise. But um, it's definitely different. I think snow versus a lot of times you're not like training on ATV trails so much. Right. Right season so you don't yeah. see machinery so much yeah it's always good too if like if it's your first encounter it's always better to be safe than sorry and then you can kind of gauge and see how the dogs did and then maybe you decide to do something different that next time but you know giving them a little more space giving them the ability to be further away will increase their comfort levels yeah. and if you if you know that you're running on a snowmobile trail and you happen to have one dog who's a little bit sturdier than the other you might run them on the left so that they can a little bit buffer this more scared dog um, and that also, if you've got a dog who hopefully you've got dogs that do a pretty good job of like running, right. I, I mean, as on, as in on the right side of a trail, which is like the path of traffic so that you're kind of like tucked over where you're supposed to be when they need to go around you and stuff. Um, it does make it a little bit more hairy if, you know, sometimes your dog's like, they're just running on the, They don't know left and well, right. Right. <laughs> you no, know, they don't always like, sometimes you got a dogs just running down the middle. Cause that's you know, it feels safer for them or whatever. And if you've got, um, you, you get like, hopefully you can train them a little bit to like stick more to the side, or if they're really running down the middle to like stop them and get them to G over and try and train that a little bit before you run into snowmobilers, you know, so you've got dogs that are, are hugging the right side of the trail properly. So in addition to, uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, helmets and eye gear. Um, what do you generally wear when you're going out doing these things? Because obviously if we're on a kick sled with a lower powered dog, it's going to be a little more work for us versus if we're on a sled with four powerful dogs. Um, are there certain things that you always make sure to kind of have on for warmth or comfort? Yeah, so... Um, if I think I'm going to have to be kicking, which like if I was running tank, it's definitely going to happen just like winter leggings, assuming it's, you know, not, well, I will say also, we don't rub it. If it's like 
nine degrees out, we're probably not going out because I've got short coated dogs and they just get cold. Um, so like, let's say it's like 15 or 20 and it's sunny and we're out there like, and I have to kick cause it's tank. Probably I'll just wear leggings, like winter, normal winter leggings from Athleta or whatever. Lululemon, what's that place called? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not fancy enough to buy yeah, them. <laughs> like I buy them on Poshmark and it says winter leggings and I wear those. Um, like athletic winter leggings that'll like absorb sweat or wicket or whatever. Right. You're supposed to do. Um, if I'm running on a snowmobile trail, I'm definitely wearing my really obnoxious yellow uh, like safety coat that makes me look like I'm either the the airplane navigator person on the runway or that I'm the race official. I'm definitely wearing that if I'm on a snowmobile trail. Um, yeah, 100%. And everybody makes fun of me because I'm like, I'm so neon. And then I always also wear everything that I own is neon. So I'm like neon pants, neon, this safety vest, my helmet's kind of yellow neon, my gloves. My You're gloves. like, you will see me coming down the trail. Neon. Um, so, but you know, for snowmobile stuff, you got to be neon. You got to wear like high vis, whatever. It is. Mm -hmm. Like out of, or like your same if you were on a hunt, if you were um, on a place where there might be hunting. Um, and then gloves, right? So you, you kind of, it gets cold if you're out there for a long time and you're like fingers being out. And I think I may be getting like Raynaud's or whatever you call that a little too. So uh, I have to bring gloves with me uh, and mittens. Mm -hmm. So I, I hook all the dogs up with gloves that I've poked holes in so I can feel my snaps on purpose. Like I rip my, it's ridiculous. But I like cut the, the fingers off so I can feel things and get them hooked up. My puppy is playing with garbage right now as if <laughs> it's a toy in the world. It's perfect. Crazy, killing it. Um, but then I usually I'll, uh, attach my mittens to like maybe the sled or I stick them in uh, where the like where the hand holdy things, is that a good description on the Dandler? Like where you would, when you're doing it, when you're going around a corner and you ha you hold their hand holdy things, I'll stick my mittens in there so that when I go to take off, I can just put them on quickly while we're going. Um, and then like the helmet protects your ears. So that part's usually okay. I don't usually have to also wear like a hat or something because the helmet usually is all right. Um, oh, shoes, shoes. So I, I have muck boots that are like the Arctic one. That if I'm kind of just going on a training run, maybe I'm just wearing those. But if I'm racing, I wear really, really good socks, darn tough socks. Um, and just for the race part, I will wear speed cross, like just normal trail runners. So that I feel in my mind or something, I just feel more nimble. Like muck boots are very athletic feeling. And if you're trying to save yourself a couple seconds here or there, if you need to kick, um, you, you, I don't know, I just feel better in, in trail runners. But Definitely, if you're hanging out at a race all day or if you're on the sled and you're not racing, just put some boots that are a half size too big, just like normal winter stuff, right? So wear two pairs of socks if you got to bring spare socks so that when you get back to the car, if you're like, my friends were talking about how sweaty their feet get, which is not a problem I typically have, but okay, for some people, I guess this is a real thing, so like I was just talking to one of my friends brings her boot dryer to races because she sweats in her feet. So now she's got to dry her boots overnight or something. She must like, have really good socks. Right. But also lots of pairs of socks. Right. right. If you race at, um, or if you're like training at 11 AM and now you come back and now you're going to go get lunch with your friends or you're going to hang out or help the next person go out or, or whatever, like, with wet feet yuck you know or maybe you fell off the sled and you landed in a pile of snow and now you're all wet so 
bring spare clothes for sure. Definitely yeah. bring, especially socks, but like other stuff too. And also maybe multiple pairs of gloves and mittens, especially if you're doing like a weekend away. Yeah, it's you don't want to be like cold and wet. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah, that is the worst. So let's talk a little bit more about those races because going to a dry land race is going to look a little different than going to a snow race. What additional items do you bring and what are some other considerations that you have when with your dogs and dog care? Yeah, so uh, snow race, definitely you're bringing like a lot more layers, layers and layers and extras. And in case you get all wet or you fall or it's snowing the day of, and now all that attire is damp and yuck. So you might need to bring like a whole nother coat and everything else for the next day or like different outer pants and, you know, so just like snow races, you end up with just so many more clothes. Um, and then dog coats, you got to remember like a lot of these dogs, I mean, mine are pretty flat coated and, and some of mine are like, like Igloo is a Saluki cross. Uh, like she's a desert dog, you know, so yeah. she fully is not prepared for the cold. So you got to put um, maybe like a fleece on them and then also an outer coat uh, or whatever. And in, I think in dry land, when it's nice out, sometimes you might like let your dog hang out quite a bit. And, and you Northern breed people, like you guys, your dogs are like living the dream. <laughs> yeah. In the snow curled up in their little balls with their nose under their tail, just kind of like collecting snow on their heads and they don't even care. And that's great for those dogs. But for dogs who are like kitties or, or, you know, well, Tink actually likes the snow quite a bit. So not her, but my other like quote unquote sled dogs, are they demand that I put my fireplace on every morning. Um, so they are not they do not want to sit out in the cold, like right. take them out to pee and, or if you need to feed them out of the car because feeding in a crate is messy or whatever, fine. But then like put them back away. They're going to waste so many calories trying to keep themselves warm. Uh, and if you're racing, that's like not where you want to spend their calories. So don't leave them out for a long time. Don't, you don't need to like, they're not, they don't miss hanging out for like those two days. They're fine. Put them back in the car where it's warm. Um, if you feel like they're lonely, then like go sit in the car with them or something. But or get a hotel that allows them in or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, you don't want to leave your dog like hanging out. And at races, it's not really appropriate anyway to have like your kind of wreck pet dog on a six foot leash, like running around the car with so much, uh, uh, like with too much diameter of a radius of like where it can go. And it's like up in other people's business. It's like, that's not how, you know, you got to keep your dogs kind of contained. Um, and if they're cold, then even more so, you know, put them right. back in the car, just leave them, bring a couple of coats, bring them spare coats. If, if you know, if it looks like the weather's going to be gross or whatever, um, and, and try to like, you know, not have them wasting all their energy out. And, and also when you're like it, race timing, right? So like if it's your class is coming up and you know, your race time's at 10, 15, pull your dog out like 20 minutes before, Right have that take them for one more pee walk or whatever. I drop my dogs on like chains that I attach to my tires. So like put them there or whatever, and, but like 20 minutes tops and then let them pee or let them whatever get warm, you know, move their limbs around, get warmed up and then put their harness on. Maybe like, you know, if you're new to racing, you're going to be in a panic. So you're going to be a little on the early side, but they don't need to be out 45 minutes ahead of your race time, you know? bring them out 20 minutes earlier, have them take them for a pee walk, maybe like 15 minutes before, or for me, like seven minutes before my race time, I'm putting harnesses on. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting them on the line, like on the actual sled until 
again, a new person, maybe you're going to say seven minutes because you're nervous about your shoot time. Um, but for me, like five minutes before I'm going to not, I maybe even wait till four minutes if I know that the shoot is close or the start shoot is close to me and I can envision how I'm going to get there smoothly or whatever. I've got four handlers. Um, you know, they don't, you don't, you don't want them hooked up and waiting for their go time for 20 minutes. They're just right. going to lose all their energy. They're going to be tired or they're going to get overheating. Mm-hmm. Right? So if it's sunny out or if it's like a 30 something, they're just, now they're hot instead. And that's nobody wants, you know, you don't want that, especially like Malamutes or, or sides or whatever you put them on a line too soon. Now they're just like hot and kind of sweaty or like, you know, they're panting already and they haven't even gone anywhere yet. So yeah. that's another thing for, for new folks. Um, at races just to, to be mindful and, and again like watch other people like see what they're doing like watch what the you can clearly see like who's been around the block a few times in this sport you know kind of watch what they're doing look at their timing go give them a hand and like ask them what their timing is so you can kind of get familiar with like what's an appropriate amount of time to have your dog like clipped to your your sled or your fat bike or whatever you know yep so in terms of our training, I know we talked a little bit about snowmobiles already. Um, are there other differences that people should be aware of as they're moving from dryland training to snow training with their dogs? So, you know, I, I can't even remember anymore what the differences are because I just uh, hopped on a sled one day and, and kind of figured it out. But um so like mileage, you might need to adjust your mileage right off the bat. So maybe you kind of slow your, well, it also is going to depend a little bit on like, what were you training in dryland? So like a lot of people, if they've got four dogs or more, they're training on an ATV and now you hit a sled and this sled weighs nothing. So you're just cruising all of a sudden. So um, like one thing you might do is you switch over. Or even if you're on a bike, maybe you're you're braking quite a lot or whatever, you might start by trying to go for slower speeds by weighting down your sled. So even if you've got a little kick sled, if you're if you've got two pulling dogs and you're not a very large person and you feel like they're moving quickly, you know, maybe put a little like resistance weight in there. Carry yourself your 15 pounds of whatever your basket, um, you know, whatever the rating is. Put something in there to like slow them down a little bit, give them a little bit more like resistance and so they they're thinking a little they have you have a little more time to react um and they're kind of and then when you go to a race you don't have that now they're cruising or someday when you're like you know what i feel pretty good about i trust them and i think that they're not gonna dive into the woods after a chipmunk so now i feel like we can try and see what the speed feels like like what's all the speed they've got let's just test it out um but i think also you know maybe on the snow if it's like a really nice groomed trail and it's fast you might see potentially like speed differences a little bit more um, between your two dogs or whatever. So uh, just kind of, you know, and if you're new at it, you don't really want to be going at speed. Maybe you felt really comfortable on your bike. So you love the speed, but now on a sled, it's your first time on a kick sled. Like maybe you don't need to be going as fast as they possibly can go figure it out first. And, and like I said, you can, I mean, I guess if you had to wear a weighted backpack yourself, you could, but um, that's another bonus of those baskets. You can put, something in there. Like I carry a 40 pound bag of dog food with me sometimes, you know, and just kind of put it in the sled. And especially if I'm running tink with my, my, my big dogs. So she can't go very fast, right? She, well, I mean, she can keep up a uh, speed for eight seconds, but she's not going to run 22 miles an hour down the trail, but she loves the snow. 
So when we go with her, like I put 40 pound weight in that sled, right? And then and then it like holds everybody back. And maybe now we're going somewhere between eight and 12 miles an hour. But now maybe we can go 10 miles because like my big dogs aren't even breaking a, well, sweat, quote unquote. But, you know, they're like, they're not even hitting into their barely like their aerobic levels. You right. Know, they're, they're just tra-la-lying and, and Tink's having a great time. And so now we can go further, you know. Um, but you know, and then it's kind of like, you know, what are you, what are you training for? So maybe on a bike, you can pedal a whole ton. So you've got two dogs on a bike and they're average pullers or like average rec pullers. And you've been going six or seven or eight miles. Well, you're probably not going that far on a kick sled, you know, you're going to be, they're doing way more of the work. If you think, you know, like obviously the bike has gears and you can pedal, but the kick sled, you're not, even if you are trying to kick, it's not quite as, um, as much help as you on the bike. So yeah, take it down a notch, especially if you're, if you're like a bike person who's now trying out a kick sled, just like really dial back your, your um, expectations. And then look at like what races, you know, if you're trying to maybe try out a race, like see what the mileage is going to be and be like, okay, well, let's just make sure we can do that mileage um, at least to start and then see how it goes from there. Right. So like two dogs, maybe go two miles and like four dogs, usually four miles or something, maybe a little more, a little less than that, you know? Yep. Perfect. Now, obviously if somebody has been doing dry land activities, it's a, it's, I would say it's pretty easy to find places where you can go do that. You know, local parks, hiking, biking trails are easier to access for our can across and our bike join. When we are looking to transition into snow sports, we need to be mindful of the trails that we're going to and the condition of the snow. Can you talk just a little bit about how you find trails to run your sled on and what kind of conditions you're looking at for the snow quality? So usually snowmobile trails are, are pretty accustomed to mushers. Um, so snowmobile trails tend to be like, they're really actually like recreational trails. They're not, you know, so you could walk on them if you wanted to. Um, but we, we tend to run on snowmobile trails around here quite a bit. And there are certain trails where mushers have been training on them for a while. So it's more likely the people on those trails are going to, know that dogs could be here or there's already a sign that says like sled dogs on trail like please please be careful um so one thing you do is kind of ask around like if you're in an area where there's any other mushers anywhere around kind of see what they're up to and maybe piggyback off them especially if you've got a small team and you're not really adding to the chaos in any way you know it's one thing if like 30 mushers roll up that's kind of chaotic but you know, if you're somewhere and, and you know, like another musher goes on this trail, like maybe just use that trail too sometimes because the, the snowmobilers hopefully will be familiar with the fact that, that like, what is the etiquette when there's dogs, that there might be dogs, that they're not bombing around or whatever. Um, so that's one thing. Pretty rarely. Um, so, you know, even if you went with, well, so ski trails are usually not where you want to go. So generally speaking, groomed ski trails, they do not want to see dogs very rarely. And they probably don't want to see your kick sled, even though it feels like, well, it's the same. The, there's like skis and it looks kind of similar, like whatever. The, they kind of don't want that there. So don't go there um, or really ask. So sometimes you'll have maybe like um, backcountry ski trails or something where they're mixed use. 
and maybe they groom this side, but like that side's for fat bikes and whatever. If you message them, uh, they might say like, okay, yeah, yeah, this one trail, you can use that one, but don't go on this one. Do not mess up groomed ski trails with your kick sled runners or your sled runners, like really bad, bad. Those things are probably pretty hard to put in. And people like when they've got their cross country skis, like going in this little ship, like little motion that they do, like if it's suddenly in the wrong spot, that's probably really awkward for them. Um, so that's, we don't go to those, but pretty, I mean, I think fairly rarely you're going to find a trail that's not a snowmobile trail that allows dogs. It's pretty rare. And, um, the only way you would probably come across it is if other mushers have told you that for some reason, this woodlands or these, whatever this, um, trustees property allows dogs and sleds, but it doesn't allow snowmobiles. Um, and even if, if you're, even if you're into fat biking, like a lot of fat bike trails might say like no dogs. Um, and over here, even this, there's like a place that's like this, some of the, the, uh, snowshoe trails are like no dogs. So it is kind of hard if it's a snowmobile trail, for sure. You can go on that. Everything else. It's kind of like, meh, they might not want you there, you know, unfortunately. Right. And uh, we have actually a local ski resort. So if you, if you are, you know, like if you want, if you're like a good, um, a good, like, uh, what's the word? You're like a good, uh, representation of the sport. Like sometimes things will open up because of that. So we have Gunstock. That's, I mean, now for me, it's like two hours uh, away, but, um, for a lot of like Massachusetts people and whatever, you go up to Gunstock and they'll allow kick sleds, but they won't allow you to set a hook and you cannot use a claw break. So that's like an interesting, right. Which is super, you know, it's kind of like, um, to say you can't use certain of your brakes, but because right. they're messing up their trails, but they're allowing the dogs, they're allowing the kick sleds, but you can't run. Um, you can't throw your hook cause it chews it up and you can't, um, you can't use your claw break cause that's also kind of like chews it up. Right. Um, and then in terms of snow conditions, like, Oh man, what's ideal versus what you're going to get. Like ideally you get a beautifully groomed trail that the snowmobile club has just like, you know, gone through the entire thing and, um, and they've been packing it for weeks and you've got a good base and now this new storm and they just went out and, and all the snowmobilers are still at home for some reason and you're the only one and it's glorious. Um, but like, what's ideal if the snow is really punchy, that's, that's a little tough, right? You got to want to really slow your speed down because the dogs can misstep. Right. I think a lot of it is if the conditions aren't super like that perfectly, like a little bit of crunch in the snow, but it's really packed and you can just like you can tell it's going to be fast. If it's not super like that, then, then maybe just like slow the team down. And if it looks like they're having a hard time finding their footing, um, which I guess is a difference in dry land that doesn't happen so much. Mm-hmm. Usually in mud, you're like, you can't be on the trail. So you, you wouldn't get that same thing. Right. So that is maybe something to be aware of that like really punchy snow, they have a hard time or if it's um, really packed in the middle, but like has edges that are really unpacked that if, if they run really hard one side or the other, they might, you know, the dogs on that side might be misstepping um, or when you're passing things, if it's tight, that they might end up in the unpacked and then just kind of, so be careful because actually Bolt one time just running in the yard, stepped in a really uh, unpacked and, and he like, came, one of his feet went all the way through and he tweaked his back or his shoulder or whatever. I had to take him to a, a chiropractic vet, you know? 
because <laughs> he was on, he came back out of that with three legs. You know, he was like not using his other leg. It is something to, to but punchy snow, really slow it down. Um, and watch, then you got to watch where their footing is maybe more so than in dry land where maybe you're more hanging on for dear life in dry land, you know, yeah. you got to watch, watch them a little bit more. And, and also if their feet, if their feet are hurting, you will see it in the way that they're stepping. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So like icy snow when it's really granular um, or when it's really punchy, punchy like you, you step, when you step into it, you're going to sink down a whole foot or whatever. Right. Well, we covered quite a bit here today. Is there anything else that you can think of off the top of your head that you would want someone to know before going out and, you know, getting their first kick sled or getting their first sled? Um, you know, I would say just get it. Like if, especially now, and if it's the winter and you can find one and you're even thinking about it, like definitely do it. It's fun. It's super fun. It's really nice way to like spend time with the dogs, um, in the winter, but be able to keep them tethered to you. Right. So that was another thing about this whole sport is that Tink's like a little bit of a runaway girl. So it was nice to be able to have fun with her, um, and have her be safe and tethered and still have her like really enjoying the world. So, um, and kick sleds can be definitely like that. Um, so, you know, you can control and make sure that they're with you, um, and, and get yourself outside in the winter, which can be like with the short days, it's kind of can be a rough, rough time, you know, in New England, yeah. you've got like dark at 4 PM. And if you don't have something to like, look forward to, it's kind of sad. So, but you know, make sure you're being a good, a uh, good representative of the sport. So if you're out on shared trails, like make sure for sure that you know you're supposed to be there. And if you don't know for sure, if you if it doesn't say dog friendly, then like message them on Facebook. A lot of these properties, um, whether they're state run or whatever, there's like somebody answering their Facebook page. You can, you can definitely get an answer or ask other mushers. And if you don't know, then don't go there today. Go there on a day when you can go with no dog and ask in person and choose a different trail that, you know, that like another musher has said like, oh yeah, we go here all the time. Uh, and you know, be safe where, where your high vis and, and your headlamps and stuff like that. And, and, you know, bring yourself like hot chocolate in the car for afterwards in case it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> a nice warm snack to warm up with. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that like bring yourself sometimes I, you know, I, I really think if my sled just had a cup holder, I'd just be killing it, you know? Well, maybe, maybe on your rec sled, you need to just add a little one there. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, like when you're out, it's really nice. But like if there was a hot drink, bring a thermos, maybe that's what I'd recommend. <laughs> thermos. That's great. <laughs> well, Carissa, thank you so much. Uh, we covered quite a bit. And I think this will really help give people information on, you know, making a decision that's best for them and their dog. And hopefully we'll get more people out on the trails this winter. Yeah, especially with your rec dogs. Like, yeah. It's perfectly acceptable to have a 45 pound dog take you around on a kick sled. It's great. It's she will, they will do it. Yeah. And you might have to kick quite a bit and you might not go 10 miles, but you can definitely do it. And it's still super fun. And then you just like borrow a friend's dog and now you've got two. Yep. And as we talked about earlier, it's the spiral. So once you get started, <laughs> who knows, maybe you'll be adding another dog. Or you collect a bunch of friends who also have trained their dogs and then you just take turns. Exactly. Like, okay, well, you take them both this go round and we'll just go a mile and then I'll take them the next go around and I'll go the mile. And and um, it's it's definitely much more fun with friends. So it's, it's worthwhile to make your friends get into the sport as well. Absolutely. <laughs> so 
Until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.